Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and welcome to My Time Capsule. My Time Capsule is the podcast where people tell me the five things from their life that they would choose to put in a time capsule. They pick four things that they cherish and one thing that they loathe, something they'd like to bury in the ground and never have to think about again. My special guest in this episode is the actor and improviser Tony Slattery, who burst out of the Cambridge footlights in the early 1980s, along with Stephen Fry, Hugh Laurie and Emma Thompson. In fact, he starred alongside Emma Thompson and Robert Lindsay in the West End hit Me and My Girl. He was a regular on the improvisation TV show Whose Line Is It Anyway? and appeared in the films Peter's Friends, which also starred several of his old footlights pals, The Crying Game, Carry On Columbus and To Die For. He Hosted the quiz show Trivial Pursuit, was in Red Dwarf, That's Love, Just a Gigolo, Coronation Street, Grumpy Old Men, Kingdom, Life Begins, and, well, loads more. But Tony suffered what he called a midlife crisis, triggered by cocaine and excessive drinking. He spent six months living as a recluse, not answering his door or telephone. Eventually, a friend persuaded him to go to hospital, where he was diagnosed as suffering with bipolar disorder. He famously discussed this with Stephen Fry on the TV documentary The Secret Life of the Manic Depressive, and also made the Horizon special What's the Matter with Tony Slattery? So, a complicated life, but he's a very sweet man, as I hope you'll discover now, as we find out the things he would choose to put in a time capsule. So it's been quite a while since we've met, hasn't it? In fact, I've just reminded you, I think, of the last time, and it made you shudder. Oh, yes. Uh, you mentioned, I think, a film, uh, which was Lady Godiva Back in the Saddle. Mm-hmm. And uh, were you in it as well as me? Because I, I, <laughs> I can't remember being in it. <laughs> it's true. But I do remember he used to say at about 11 o'clock at night, I'm just going to pop out for some cigarettes. And then 
We'd see you coming back to the hotel for the uh, pickup in the morning. Ah, mm. so what was I doing in the meantime? I wish I knew. That's okay, I think I was sleeping on the set. Do you remember that the entire crew of that film, which is not widely known, no. uh, was Tamil? And they were delightful, but didn't speak a word of English. And so that made the production. <laughs> slightly difficult. And who was Lady Godiva? It was the lady from... Steps. Faye from Steps with the, with the curly hair. It was Steps, and she was lovely. But the whole atmosphere was slightly bemused. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure it got a theatrical, you know... No. No. Although we were invited to Coventry for a premiere. Uh, OK, you've got me there because my memory's a bit shot. Did we go? Um, I went. I went because actually they were putting us up in quite a nice hotel. In Coventry? Well, just outside Coventry. Yeah, mm. that makes sense. Yes. That sounds quite regionalist. Not in Coventry, but just outside, you know. <laughs> but I got to see the Bond Cathedral, which was the best part of the shoot. Yes. But that really didn't enter into the fabric of the film. No, sadly. Sadly, indeed. I've actually abseiled down the front of the new cathedral at Coventry. Now, that's just showing off. That is just showing off. You didn't really, did you? I did, yes. Oh, goodness. It's terrifying. Uh, Oh, my gosh. Yes, uh, for a television show, I had to play somebody who was one of those high-flying window cleaners. I'm Uh, sorry you've lost me. Yes. Uh, A show about high-flying window... Oh, is you... Oh, no, I get you, I get you. The show wasn't about me. Right. So it wasn't about personal achievement. No. It was about personal people. It was about somebody stupid enough to go up there who was killed. Right. And who cleaned windows at a high level. Yes. So it wasn't people who had been at a low level, but (laughs) had extended... Become to, to be a CEO, right. <laughs> I'm gotcha. now a top-level window cleaner. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> Viper's Nest, or whatever it's called. Viper. Dragon's Den. Dragon's Den. Yes. Viper's Nest is a better name for hey, it. Hey, actually, that's all bad. Or if like, it was about no, window cleaning, it could be Wiper's Nest. <laughs> you win. <laughs> you win. So, Tony. OK. It's lovely to see you again. And like most of the country, I've always been a great fan of the things you've done in your time. I think you do me too great a compliment, but thank you, I'll accept it. Well, maybe that's the problem. Maybe you didn't realise that we all did. It's a long way back, but anybody who saw your work, even as a student, I remember thinking, my God, that looks capable. Of what? <laughs> we should explain that we are in a hotel room and I am sitting on the bed. Are, are we? No, dare. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> what the hell are you doing in my hotel room? Yes. But I am sitting on the bed and I do have one foot on the floor, so everything will be fine. I'm pleased. <laughs> OK, so we're going to explore through your life and find five things that you treasure from it. Um, OK, uh, gosh... Uh... I like uh, impro when it's really impro mm. and not rehearsed. So I decided not to overthink things because that leads to procrastination and nothing gets done. Mm. So I'm just going to fly off here. Uh, sound very pretentious, but okay. My first childhood memory 
because it's a bit murky, actually, for reasons I haven't really discovered and perhaps don't want to discover. It's jumping over my mum in the back garden and breaking my arm, and she carried me in her arms to the nearest uh, hospital, and, uh, yeah. And that's a really vivid memory. Yes. Yeah. How old would you have been? I would have been about, I would say, three. Three. See, there are not many memories for people of being the age of three, are No, but uh, I guess not, but that stuck. Mm. So was your mother that sort of person? Was she very protective? Well, she was protective when I broke my arm <laughs> and in but not pain. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I don't remember the before bits because there are no photographs. Ah, why? I don't know. I suppose it was a rare thing to take photographs of people or do you think they were lost or destroyed? Again, I don't know. I once asked my late sister why there were no photographs of me when I was uh, a baby. Or, or before three, whereas my brothers, who, who were triplets, obviously had lots of photos, and they were in the local press and things like this. Mm. And my late sister uh, said that uh, they were too busy with everything, and that wasn't to use modern parents dissing them. It's just they weren't. No. But there are no memories except from... That incident. Mm. So how long would it be then before your memory starts to actually form? Is that school age? Yes, that's right. Right. So that's extraordinary that that jumps out. Do you think it's because it was a rare thing? I don't know, to be... That thing of being carried all the way there by your mother. Was she a huggy mother? Was she demonstrative? In a sense, she was uh, an archetypal, even though that sounds dismissive, but she was... She was uh, a Gaelic matriarch, mm-hmm. and uh, so I had my triplet brothers, I had uh, my sister. Uh, so that is a clear memory of being carried to the hospital shortly before my mother's... No, it was my sister's death. She told me that I had uh, also another sister who, in The phraseology of the times was not shown to my mother because uh, she was not perfectly formed. Right. She died at birth, did she? She was not shown to my mother, which is a different thing. Mm-hmm. Because also there was the unsolidamide um, thing going on, which which in a really ironic, dreadful way, is there are drugs that is being used in really useful ways for other conditions, mm. Mm. but wasn't understood then to be tetragenic. Yes. My mother-in-law took thalidomide to help her during her pregnancy. I think she took it past the point where it may have caused problems, but how close is that? Yes, the... Um, extent of defects were different. I remember being in infant school where there was a kid who had severe deformities. Mm. 
because of that drug. And it was thought to be a miracle drug at the time. And he was he was um, mocked. And that was that was true. I even I knew at a young age, like eight or nine, I knew that was really sad. Mm-hmm. He was uh, mocked, and it wasn't his fault. But I kind of just, <laughs> if there is a golden lining to the cloud, it's found other uses. It's been uh, what is the phrase repurposed. Mm. Yes, amazingly. Amazingly, yes. and on the best advice there was at the time, because it stopped pregnant mothers puking. Yes. That's, that's the bottom line. Mm. So I'm going to take you from breaking your arm. I do have a singular memory from early childhood, which is separate from all my other memories, which is actually looking out of my pram at my mother with a, one of those plastic hoods that women used to wear to protect their hair if it rained. Oh, and her pushing me in my pram. I know it was one of those large, old-fashioned prams. Right. And I, of course, I think it's the feeling of being warm and safe, oh. my mother pushing me along, and it's a very vivid image that I have. Indeed. Mm. And it's imprinted, I guess, and that feeling of enclosure and comfort. Which way round was the pram? I was facing her. Ah, right. Yes. And I wonder, in fact, if... That's the reason we all sort of stick with those memories and why they stick in our head. So for you, you fall over, you break your arm, and a a three-year-old, you're too young to understand that sort of pain, I think. But then your mother carrying you all the way to the hospital, that's quite a journey. It is, and it uh, is memorable, and I don't think it's necessarily Oedipal. It's just an impressed memory. Mm. It's not. I don't think, mother love, because I don't think I was ever a mummy's boy. I was always, uh, I think, a solo person. So were you solo through school? Did you have lots of friends? Oh, I had um, one. uh, Sorry, I don't know why we're... (laughs) Suddenly, suddenly out of question time. One! (laughs) I mean, uh, um, no, I was never... uh, was never bullied. No. I was quite solitary, but I had friends. Mm. See, I would imagine that you were very popular because you were funny. Were you funny as a teenager, or did you discover that when you went to university? I don't know, um, the hubristic or loud, but I was. I made people laugh. Yeah. I did. Yes. And that sometimes deflected. I know that's a cliche as well, um, but it did deflect potential bullying. But also, you know, I was quite a sporty, <laughs> you wouldn't think, you know, but I was quite a sporty type and I was a black belt in judo at an early age. So there was a bit of me which could say, I don't like the way you're behaving to me, don't fuck with me. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll break your legs. (laughs) And that sounds awful. That would work, I think. So did you sort of breeze through school, do you think? Or did you just make it through? Because actually, I suppose, if you look at it, you ended up getting a place at Cambridge. Mm. So that, to me, would suggest that you were reasonably happy at school and successful. I was uh, reasonably happy at the big school, (laughs) as they used to call it. (laughs) 
then, and I made some uh, friends. I got very few uh, poor O-levels because I was interested in judo and rugby, and then I got interested in languages, and that's why I got my uh, A-levels and the Cambridge entrance exam and got half a scholarship and half uh, an exhibition and then I got into Trinity Hall and they were three glorious years. Yes, mm. they so really were. I'm sure they were. So you didn't come from money? Then. Oh, Christ, no. <laughs> the fact that your mother had to carry you all the way to hospital. Indeed. Rather than getting the chauffeur to take her. That's right, <laughs> yes. Christ's chauffeur in heaven is... Uh, particularly neglected book of Old Testament. <laughs> I think it's the one that the Catholic Church rejected in the second century. <laughs> one of many, I hope. <laughs> yes, the Gospel according to, uh, to, to uh, Gareth. <laughs> <laughs> well, then we have to talk a bit about... Uh, we have to talk about your time in Cambridge because it's just such a defining thing for you, isn't it? I mean, it's where your life, I suppose, the direction of your life was sort of set... You're a linguist. Was your intention to go there and then work in the foreign office? (laughs) Oh, I think in the beginning I just enjoyed languages and I think a bit of me in my dreams wanted to be a crusty old don with the keys to the port cellar. (laughs) And uh, then I got uh, sidelined by performing. Mm. And so I got a 2 2 in the end, and they expected a starred first, and they were very disappointed. But I really enjoyed it. I mean, Emma Thompson and Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie and uh, these brilliant people, and, and I learned so much from them. And uh, they were so kind to this, you know, <laughs> uh, short, sturdy, whippersnapper who could be funny and um, they're all poshies. Well, yes. Now, there's an interesting thing, isn't it? The idea of going off to Cambridge and did you go there thinking, they're never going to let me in? Not really. Uh, There was a bit of that, but I also thought when I first visited Cambridge, which was just on a school trip. Mm. And, you know, I was brought up on a council estates before that, whatever good my mum and dad could afford, which mm. was, you know, uh, some clearance stuff, did brilliantly to bring up all these children. Uh, mm. When I went up, of course, it was like Disneyland in a way. I was 14 and I thought, oh, my God. God, look at the beauty of this place. And that's what drove me. It is beautiful, isn't it? Yes. It's astonishing. Even to this day, uh, the colleges uh, owning the rights to the street lighting, I always think, is interesting. <laughs> that's right. And uh, there are other... Well, no, uh, what you say is truth, but the other legends are... <laughs> you heard at the time, was, you know, you can't ride donkeys <laughs> over... The lawns of Trinity Hall, and that goes back to 1722. <laughs> and you and s- the problem was... You didn't have a donkey. <laughs> one, that's true, but also, two, it's true. 
ridiculous. <laughs> yes. They always said those strange things, didn't they? Like, um, do you know you could walk from here to, to Oxford without leaving college land? That's right. Without uh, leaving Trinity College land. <laughs> it's astonishing. Something Just, like that. It's one particular Yeah, college. I mean, I think there, there are lots of uh, <laughs> um, spoofy things mm. about it. And there are lots of true things. But it, uh, it was principally the architecture. Ooh. Yes. I can understand that. That would make you fall in love with the place and think, right, OK. I'm... Yes. And that put the seed in your mind. Yes, it did. Oh, yes, really? it did. And that's why I dropped sport and started to... Hmm, A-levels and then entrance exams, then lots of interviews with really crusty <laughs> professors in very dark rooms, some with candles, <laughs> firing nasty questions at me. <laughs> so having made your mind up that that was the, the thing, did you have to ask your school, can I take the entrance exam? Oh, yes. Wow. Did you have to stay on at school to do that? Yes, and then it was a, a strictly supervisor, and very uh, difficult. And I did some of it pretty well, but a couple of them. Now, this sticks among a couple of them. I just got so wrong. And uh, <laughs> so in the interviews where uh, the uh, dons of the professors in the various interviews kept turning lights on <laughs> because I couldn't translate something. Mm. And then when I got something... They said, well, these are clear scholarship marks, but in this paper, you're dismal. How do you explain this discrepancy? And all, all I thought of was the truth. I was having an affair with a math teacher. <laughs> and and they... I lost my concentration. <laughs> I wonder what you were going to lose there. <laughs> No, I lost the translation thing because oh, you bring it all back to me. Uh, oh, it was because I, 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 <laughs> right? I mistook a Spanish translation from Garcia de Lorca, and it was gambas, uh, and it was stockings. But I wrote, and this was passed round apparently <laughs> to make them laugh. I thought prawns. So I thought, this is surrealist. She's got prawns up her legs. <laughs> Gambas. Yes. That's exactly. That's right. But it was wrong. It was Gambores or something. I don't know. She entered with her legs covered in prawns. <laughs> They thought, either this boy is a genius. <laughs> or we should shoot him. <laughs> well, of course, the answer is, the reason I got it wrong is because I haven't completed my degree at Cambridge yet. <laughs> Give me a chance. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. And they did. And they did. And so then being diverted by performing, so did you start performing in plays first then? Oh, yes, mm. yes. I mean, there are school plays, I think, you know, lots of people would relate to that. But um, uh, at Cambridge, I was in <laughs> what is widely regarded, apparently, <laughs> anecdotally, as the funniest production, sorry, it's just come back to me, of Marlowe's Edward II. <laughs> not a funny play. <laughs> it's not really a funny play, <laughs> but 
Uh, one, there was the Liberty costumes, I was Edward II, and it was kind of a Hessian costume thing going on, so we all looked a bit like Morris dancers, <laughs> and the <laughs> battle scenes were stuck with big sticks, which, <laughs> which exacerbated that. And then, when I was, uh, and this was on the first night, right, Oh, God. <laughs> when when the red-hot poker was stuffed up my fundament, mm-hmm. I was told to let out a scream, which I did. And then the lights were... This was in the ADC theatre. Uh, yes. The lights were meant to come down, but they didn't. <laughs> and so... Uh, and then my pants caught fire. <laughs> and then the two executioners... Uh, were seen in full light going... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) And that's true. That's what I remember. Oh, fantastic. (laughs) Oh, the joy of it. (laughs) The joy, exactly. (laughs) They retrieved the joy from the pain. Yes, but then you go to the pub, you laugh. And I suppose your comic ability with Red Hot Pokers was... (laughs) Don't tell us, Mike, don't blame me. (laughs) But that was spotted. So were you then invited to join the Footlights or did you think, no, I'll have a go, I'll go and join the Footlights? Because that's a big decision to make, isn't it? Because you are looking at an organisation that, rightly or wrongly, you probably regarded as being an enclave of, as you say, the poshies. That's interesting. You you said that, Michael, because I didn't know. I just heard the name and I thought it was a review society to be uh, someone who's funny uh, and so that's why it wasn't it wasn't a kind of thrusting I'll um, go and go and get them yeah no it really wasn't I I just did an audition uh, in front of Hugh Laurie and Stephen Fry and it was myself and the brilliant Richard Vranch mm-hmm. and we just did some silly stuff that's it. And uh, then we had to audition again. And uh, then I got into th- uh, a thing which turned into the cellar tapes. Yes. Which still actually stands up. It's, <laughs> it's so silly and fun. I saw the cellar tapes. Oh, what? I saw like? it when you performed it at the Oxford Playhouse. Oh, my goodness. Mm. Oh. Isn't that lovely? Uh, that is really... Uh, and around the same time, I auditioned for the Oxford Review Oh, with completely the idea that that sounds fun. That That's it. Peter Cook. Right, I don't know, you've just made me think. Peter Cook. I got the Footlights, because I was president of Footlights in uh, its centenary year, and I got really drunk <laughs> with Peter Cook <laughs> in the Eagle Pub. Hmm. And when it was still 3 p.m. closing time, but it was Peter Cook. And he said, oh, what do you want to do? <laughs> I said, I was thinking of going to show business. And his response, and I do remember, oh, give it a fucking whirl. <laughs> and you did. I tried. Yeah. Oh, God, how fantastic. What a brilliant piece of advice. And Indeed. Why not? You're never going to say no to somebody like that, are you? No, no. I was in awe. 
Of course, yeah. And he was, he was being uh, wisty at the time. Well, I'm going to find something from that time to put into the time capsule that will remind you of that period. And I have to say that for me, it has to be a, a young lady with prawns all up her leg. <laughs> <laughs> that was handed round dons. <laughs> they were, apparently, they were pissing themselves, <laughs> but also with derision. <laughs> I should imagine. Because <laughs> I thought it was Goya or... Picasso or <laughs> oh, Gaudi lovely. or <laughs> lovely. All right. Well, I mean, I could talk to you about that time on and on, but we'll move on. Okay, we're going to take a short break from my chat with Tony now for what is sometimes an ad break, sometimes just me talking about our sponsor, and occasionally a bizarre but brief silence. I'll be back after whichever one of those it is. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back, which always sounds really weird if it was just the silence. OK, let's get back to Tony Slattery and discover what else he wants to put in his time capsule. What I think is gorgeous is that not long after having done that as a group of students going to Edinburgh, being lauded, I think you were the... F- was it the first show to win the Perrier Award? Oh, uh, yeah, it was. It was uh, the first Perrier Award. Yes. What did we get? Not um, as it became later, forty grand each. We got a case of fucking Perrier, <laughs> and then uh, we had a Western transfer mm. to where a forty-seater <laughs> theatre in Hampstead called the New End Theatre, was New End. Place, which was, in a way, abruptly a renovated morgue. <laughs> That's what we did. Yes. But a few years earlier, you would have been at the Fortune and you would have... Oh, something like that. You would have yeah. taken the world by storm. Uh, yeah. I, oh, no, or later. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, Charmed. so you've, you've moved on from that. But the great thing, I think, is that not long after that, there is that group of friends, add in a few talented people like Imelda Staunton mm. and, and Rita Rudner, and there you are making Peter's friends. This is us when we were students. 
Uh, well, I still like the film. I like the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I play uh, an oafish fool in it, so that's typecasting in a way. But I hadn't seen Emma or Stephen or Hugh for about eight years. Mm-hmm. And I auditioned for Ken Neth, who was the director and uh, it was glorious to, to meet them after all that time. Yeah. I mean, it's frozen in time, and it, it still stands up, and mm. it's humorous. And, um, and so that eight years of coming out of university, I went to see um, an agent at Noel Gay. Oh, yes. Uh, just after you joined them. And they did say to me, oh, marvellous, because we've just signed up a young fellow called Tony Slattery and he can't possibly do all the work he's being offered. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't go with Noel Gay. Ah, who was the agent? Richard or uh, his son? Oh, yes. 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 Mm. Uh, You went stellar with radioactive and all that, didn't you? Yes, but I I was looking for an agent and I thought, well, I'm not sure I want to be... Your, you your don't want to, I don't want to be. No, I don't want to be associated <laughs> with that light entertainment tart. You're quite right. It was fantastic watching your career, though, at that point. Oh, you ride the wave, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, but West End musicals and television shows, all sorts of things going on, and uh, just everybody lauding you. And then for all of us, there's that thing where if we didn't know you personally, everybody thought, where's Tony gone? Mm. Where had you gone? I think uh, I worked too much. Um, I did drugs. Uh, uh, To come down from the drugs, I took alcohol. Uh, To excess, I lost uh, sense of myself, but I did good things Mm. as well. But then, and listen, I really don't want it to sound self-pitying, it's just, uh, yeah, went off the rails. Mm. And how long were you off the rails, do you think? Mm. Quite a few years, yes. Mm. So what brought you back, do you think? My partner of 37 years, my other half, his name is Mark Bernard Hutchinson. He is my uh, rock and uh, my uh, saviour and my love for all time. Mm. How did you meet? Oh, about 1986, we were in a musical called Me and My Girl, and uh, we didn't talk to each other about six months. And then there was one time in the lift going up to our dressing rooms in between me uh, starting the uh, second half with the big tap number. The sun has got his hat on. And I did it and I pulled it off. And But we looked a little too long into each other's eyes. That's it. And I know that sounds cheesy but that's exactly how it started so we've been together about uh, 36 years now Mm -hmm. Hmm? no I don't think it sounds cheesy I think it's lovely I think also very true I think it is that moment when you look you dare to look 
Yes. Or you can't help. No. And with life partners, it either happens or it doesn't. Yes. And you can't pretend. And without him, I'd be dead. There's no question. I would leap in front of a flying bullet for him. Although he said, no, don't do that. Avoid the flying bullet. Let's all live a bit longer. Well, I think anybody who's been lucky enough to have a life partner remembers those moments. They're very clear in your memory, aren't they? Yes, they they really are indelible and imprinted. And they're not uh, kind of retrospective, fantastical moments. You think, oh, no, that fucking well happened. Mm. The great thing is that every now and again, without you expecting it, you'll be taken by surprise by it happening again with the same person. Not, not with someone else. <laughs> I wouldn't be pretty oh. But every now and again, I think in my life, I've been aware of uh, just catching my wife's eye. Oh, that is, that is so sweet and true. Oh, yeah. Sometimes I um, catch Mark's face in, in a still state and it's like I'm back there. Mm. In the lift, and it's very uh, moving. How lovely! <laughs> so we're going to think of something that will remind us of that, that we can put into the time capsule. Oh, okay. We've yes. rather wandered away. No, that's all right. Wandering away, but I'm having talked around a subject. I then like to find a thing that, even when you open it up, or at the end it, of time, at the end of time, when you open the time capsule. Well, at the end think, of time, there wouldn't be a time capsule. Now, that's complicated. It is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I met Stephen Hawking's once. Did you? Yeah. So did I. Hey, because he was at Trinity Hall. And did you have a conversation with him? No, we exchanged uh, a few words. Mm. Do you remember them? I think he might have said, get out of my way. <laughs> I saw Stephen Hawking after a performance of pantomime at the Arts Theatre in Cambridge. Oh, yes which he was a big fan of pantomime. Oh. And I was aware that he was in, because every now and again, after the audience had done it, you would hear this voice go, he's behind you. <laughs> no. <laughs> I know. He thought, oh, my word. And then afterwards, uh, a very lovely lady came to the door and said, my husband would like to meet you. Is that OK? And I said, yeah, sure. <gasps> Where is he? And I didn't know who her husband was. Right. We went to this large people carrier and the door was slid open and there he was. Wow. And he'd programmed into his voice thing in advance something that um, I think may be one of the greatest moments of my life. He said, you were brilliant. Oh, Lord. And I said, for somebody like you to say that I was brilliant. Oh, good God. I was brought to tears. Well, uh, as, as am I now... Uh, Did you you, uh, try... uh, Not try, I bet you could understand it, but me, I tried, I finished it, a brief history of time. Uh, I understood, I would say, maybe about (laughs) a (laughs) hundred. I like letting the words wash over me. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, 
Well, yeah. a handful of tomato pan, thank God. Because <laughs> Everything's all right much. again. <laughs> Everything's all right again. Ah. Oh. oh, lovely. I mean, I know it seems to be a large object, but I'm going to put the lift from the backstage of the Adelphi Theatre on the Strand. That's right. Yes. And put it into your time capsule so that when it's a large time capsule, it's fine. When you open it up, there will be that lift and you can step into it and look straight into Mark's eyes. Oh, gosh. Do you know, I love having this power. <laughs> <laughs> With power comes great... Uh, Responsibility. No, coupons. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my word. OK, so that's we've put in well, three things, really. So we want to find one more thing from an area of your life. So, OK, uh, do you know what are the parameters of that? Yes, anything. It could be yesterday. OK, in later life, which is really important to me, it's telling my partner, Monk, on the telephone, that I love him. <laughs> so are you often apart? Yes. Mm. It's strange, that thing, isn't it, of... Uh, of being apart and trying to communicate with someone. Yes, it is. And it can cause tension. Mm. But when you get together, there's bonded together with hoops of unbreakable steel. Hmm. That's a very good thing to think of, I think. Because so many people will be away from people or not spend time with people, and then they ring them and they say, um, <coughs> yes, we went to the cinema. Um, oh, I read a book the other day. They'll just tell them things. That's it. The quotidian, often just normal things. But they do forget to say important things. Yes. Very good. All right, we have one thing to put into the time capsule, which is something you want to reject from your life. Now, I, I don't know, I mean, whether that period in your life where you went off the rails, you may well have been having the time of your life, for all I know. No. No. Completely the opposite. Mm. Very uh, solitary. Did you feel that there was no one you could turn to? It's not that I felt like it's just I didn't even think of someone to turn to, which is, I, 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 I guess, Michael, uh, uh, yeah, a different thing. The one thing I'd like to forget hmm. is Diane Abbott. <laughs> Why, particularly? It's just an opinion. It's just an opinion, yeah. Okay, she's gone. She's oh! Oh, fuck, she's back. <laughs> oh, hello, Diane, I didn't mean it. Put your clothes on, for God's sake. <laughs> George Galloway, what are you doing here? <laughs> Jesus, where did you buy that? <laughs> One so big. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Tony, how lovely it's been to talk to you. Likewise. It's really lovely to see you again and to see you with the same wit and humour and passions that I always knew you had and enjoyed seeing in you every time we met. Thank you very much. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Tony Slattery. 
This was a cast-off production for Acast. The producer was John Fenton-Stevens. You can follow My Time Capsule on most social media and you can subscribe to the show on all major podcast providers. If you do, then it really helps a podcast growth if you take a second to rate the show. If you also find the time to write a review, then that would be marvellous. And you can download the theme tune written by Pass the Peas Music on Spotify. Our next episode is one that was called for by all our followers. Well, at least ten of them. So, actually, statistically, an unimportant gaggle of tweeters. But the devil is always in the details. So, to keep them happy, we will not ignore them whoever they are. Now, what am I talking about? That is not an uncommon question in my life. I am talking about the fact that when we did our double episode with the great Barry Cryer, several people said, what about Graham Garden? What a great idea, I thought. But I haven't managed to get him yet, so next week it's Colin Sell. And he's bloody brilliant. See ya. See ya.